Welcome back to the Millennial Pastors Podcast. I'm Michaela Johnson. And I'm Caleb Haynes. And we're your guest co-hosts for season 10. We're here having conversations around creation care and what it means to be Christian on planet Earth. Over this season, we'll be chatting with scientists, theologians, and other Christians who are doing the work of Earth care in their specific context. So we hope that this will bear fruit for you and your ministry and your work in the world. Awesome. Okay. So uh, this is Caleb Haynes. I'm here once again with uh, co-host Michaela Johnson. Say hello. 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 (laughs) And we are virtually sitting down today with one of our uh, other creation care compadres, Samuel Monkern. Greetings, brother. Greetings. How are we today? Great, great. Live in the dream. Live That's in the right. dream. Uh, life is a dream. Uh, That's right. As someone once said. And uh, so I want to I want to jump into a conversation. I want to hear your story, but I want to give you a quick bio just so uh, our listeners can have a little context for who Samuel is and uh, a little bit of your awesome story. And then I'll leave you to correct or fill in the gaps uh, of 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 whatever. So. Uh, Totally. If you don't know, Samuel. Samuel is a Buckeye-born uh, person, although if you're listening to this from uh, somewhere outside of the States, that means Ohio. And uh, <laughs> but grew, yeah, grew up in rural uh, Pennsylvania, is one of eight kids uh, in the home of Nazarene pastor parents, and uh, grew up to attend Eastern Nazarene College. Uh, pursued a degree in psychology and religion, worked with AmeriCorps for several years after graduating. Fast forward to 2012, he kind of returns to the plant world where he worked at ENC, actually as assistant manager of the grounds for three years, and then five years as head of grounds and director of the Babcock uh, Arboretum. And during Arboretum. that time, Arboretum, yes, thank you. I knew I was going to say that wrong. And uh, during that time, uh, refined some skills in plant design, uh, ecological re- restoration, and so on. And then fast forward again to 2020, starts his own business, restoration land care, and we'll get in. We'll get into some of that in a bit. And then he spends a lot of his time traveling, living, working in the Northeast. He has two little girls who help out with the work, and they spend a lot of time together exploring God's creation. And so. That's a, that's a little about Samuel. So, uh, so glad you're with us uh, today, brother. It's so good to be here. And uh, and I would like to know because we were chatting just for a second before I hit record that uh, Samuel is live coming <laughs> to us coming to us live right now from the grounds of like the 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 childhood home right of Mister Rogers. Is that right? Correct. That is correct. I am in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood today, and it is a beautiful day. <laughs> quite, li- quite literally. And uh, if if you guys could see what I could see, he's sitting outside right now, like with his back to this cabin wall, and uh, out out in nature doing doing the Lord's work out there. So um, pretty pretty awesome. Uh, so quite literally, from Mr. Rogers' original neighborhood, you can't make yeah. this stuff up. So. No, you can't. I think, I think that was a, a divine, a divine joke right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We logged on. He's like, we're gonna, we're gonna do where? this. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to do this podcast from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Yeah, yes. one of my customers lives on the original childhood home, uh, or not in the home, but on the property um, where he grew up. And uh, right out in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, just east of Pittsburgh. So it's a nice, cool. nice little spot. Yeah, well, we won't ask you for the actual address because I don't. That could be G fourteen classified, <laughs> but sounds really cool. True. Uh, yeah. Well, awesome. Well, uh, just like most of our recordings, I'd really love to just start uh, by you giving us your version uh, of your story and kind of how you got quote unquote here. Maybe not necessarily Mister Rogers' neighborhood, although that would be fun yeah. too. <laughs> But uh, it plays a part. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, where, where you're at now. And particularly, I'd love to hear more about your Nazarene roots and, and yeah. what that looks like for you. Yes, sir. Um, so uh, the start of all this, there's, there's so many pieces, and I feel like there's so many starts, restarts, uh, intersections. The, um, I was never the type of person that was like, I know what I want to do. I'm going to pursue this career. I'm growing up. I felt that working with youth, working in ministry was a calling. I had two parents that served in our church. My dad, the senior pastor and mom has been by his side as, um, staffing as a mother, as associate, as, uh, although I don't think she refers to herself as associates, just kind of like, I'm here with him doing this and grandparents that, um, grew up in the church of the Nazarene as well. So and my, that, was roots, that all in the Northeast? Yeah. Uh, my grandfather was a district superintendent. Uh, well, a pastor, he started out pastoring in my mom's dad in the upstate district in Rochester. And then that's where she was born. They moved to Baltimore city. He became district superintendent of the Washington district, Washington, Baltimore, or yeah, Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia district area. And then from that point, he uh, finished out that term there and then it finished um, kind of his retirement on staff at York Stillmeadow Church in Pennsylvania hmm. uh, under Bud Reedy. Uh, but that's kind of the, I guess, the brief summary history. My parents have always been very outdoorsy which is wild because mom grew up most of her life in most of her childhood in the urban area of Baltimore city during the sixties. Um, dad grew up in the boom town of oil city, Pennsylvania in the Northwest corner. So okay. this intersection of mom, mom always said she'd never marry a hunter or fisherman. She married a hunter or fisherman and gave birth to many hunting, fishing men and women. Never so, say never. <laughs> uh, never say never. She also said we'd never live where we currently, uh, where they're currently serving in Petersburg, Pennsylvania, but she mm. ate those words too. So oh, man. I, I think, never say never. I think exactly. So we, we've served at different places throughout Pennsylvania. Um, grew up on the Washington district, mid Atlantic district. And then I was, when I was looking at schools, Eastern Nazarene college to follow suit with my mother, was not my top choice. I was actually looking at Treveca and Olivet before that. Mm -hmm. um, I was heavily influenced by Tim Green, the chaplain at the time. Um, he had done a bunch of work at a uh, bunch of speaking at camps and youth camps growing up and really liked what 
uh, just really enjoy that relationship. And, and I think that's a huge part, huge common theme that I, I recognize in, in my journey is relationship. It was never, like I said, it was never, I want to go pursue this. I'm going to go do this. It really, it really kind of hinged on the relationships in my life. Um, when I was looking at schools and I actually deferred for a semester after I graduated going into the fall to work a little bit, to save up some money. And sure enough, when I was going through financial packets, Eastern Nazarene, um, ended up giving me more at the time. And I was like, all right, I'll go and transferred in there. I had done some community college beforehand, um, and then transferred into ENC and pursued psychology and religion. I actually dropped the religion my senior year because I had some very challenging, uh, uh, church history classes that I need to get mm-hmm. under my belt and happens to the best by of us. senior year. So I was like, you know, yeah. what? I'm going to make this a little bit easier uh, <laughs> and, and I'm going to finish out with psychology. And, and I have a lot of my, a lot of my, I guess, uh, religion courses completed if I ever wanted to go back, but yeah. didn't really feel like I had a call to preach, but my grandfather, my mom's dad was always talked about how you, for those pursuing ministry, think of it as having have like two careers, have something that either a hobby or a trade that you can rely on. And I've seen that with my uncles, um, my mom's brothers. Uh, One of them is an electrician and basically paid his way through school and seminary um, as a electrician. And then I did a couple internships with him in Philadelphia when he was there working construction and then doing um, youth ministry at the church. Then uh, during my time at Eastern Nazarene, I participated in travel ministry, summer travel ministries. And I really enjoyed, I did two years of that, really enjoyed the traveling, the again, the relationships that you build and connections that you build with people. Hmm. And... I was a pseudo magician. <laughs> yeah. And they brought me in to do tricks. Uh, no nice. musician. I was a pseudo musician and <laughs> I, I didn't Eastern Nazarene's summer ministry teams are a little more camp oriented. Um, they, during the time that I was in it, we did music and stuff like that, but the focus was kind of camp counseling, um, that PR kind of role. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Music ministry was always a huge part of what I did um, alongside okay. of the youth. So in the churches I've served in, in the um, the different places I've moved to, I've always done worship leading as either an interim leader or you know mm-hmm. part time support role or something like that. And so then when I graduated, I was still going the youth route and worked for AmeriCorps doing some urban youth work in the city of Boston. Hmm. And loved it. Um, the time with AmeriCorps, and, and partly my reason to go to ENC was to give myself an experience that was very different than what I was familiar with. I wanted to be in more of an urban setting. Didn't necessarily think that I would stay in that, but having two parents that come from very different backgrounds in, in terms of 
their geographical setting. I wanted, I wanted something similar to that, that just, you know, I, I was familiar and comfortable with the outdoors. I always worked on farms. I did garden centers. I did, you know, all that landscape stuff growing up. And then I was looking for a change. And the funny thing was when um, I met my wife on our summer ministry team and we um, traveled, uh, I think we, we both did summer ministry for two years. And then after graduation, she also worked in the city as a youth worker um, okay. at an Episcopal church. I worked at a Nazarene um, center and then an Episcopal church as well. And we did that for a few years, had our first daughter um, mm-hmm. in 2012, kind of during that time I transitioned back to ENC. I was looking for something more consistent, a little bit better benefits, a little bit better pay. And we need something where we were just a little bit more grounded. And I was like, I actually was going to sign up for like, uh, the construction slash, you know, maintenance crew. And mm-hmm. I ended up going the route. <laughs> my brother was like, you need to go for the assistant grounds position. And he's, yeah. he's my younger brother. He's always been pushing okay. me from behind because I've always been pushing him <laughs> down into the ground as a child. Yeah. Um, we had a, we had a good rivalry growing up, but he was my only yeah. brother and we have, we have a very close relationship, but he knows me really well. Yeah. And he really felt like the, the grounds director that I would be working under, I would learn a lot from him and yeah. that it would be most advantageous to go that route. And it really, really did. Um, yeah, I, I honestly changed my trajectory. So when, so we first met, uh, in 2019, cause you came with some ENC folks to the Christian care summit in Flint. And, um, I remember having breakfast and we were talking and you, you were still, you were still doing the ground stuff at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. maybe briefly tell our listeners about some of the, I know you're not there anymore and that work has sort of changed, but mm-hmm. some of, uh, some of what you're up to there. Cause I think it's really cool. And I, I, I mean, I believe like it would be amazing in my opinion to see, other universities following mm. suit to the kind of work that you were trying to get going there and did get going at a point. And, you know, I don't know the whole story and we don't yeah. have to yeah. tell, tell all the whole story or whatever, but just kind of some, the, the kinds of things that you're up to and the kinds of things you ended up doing there at the grounds. Of course. Um, that, that was, I would say a crisis point in my life where 2015 was the time that the director was going to retire and I had to decide what I wanted to do. They wanted to give me the position. They wanted me to interview for it and take it. And I didn't necessarily feel like I was ready for it because I was like, I don't want to mow grass forever. I, mm. I honestly didn't want to right. live in Quincy forever. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. not my cup of tea. Um, but I really love the campus. I love the institution. I love the community and my students. I supervised about anywhere from 12 to 18 students a semester, um, whether they were work study or um, they just got paid hourly. They would, they, it was some of them that really pushed me to like, <laughs> you should go for the director position. It would be awesome. So sure enough, I ended up taking it. And I, during that point, I really struggled with why I wanted to do it. And I didn't want to just do it because it was a net, natural step. I wanted something deeper behind it. And one of my college roommates and my brother really challenged me at that point again of you have to find a way to ascribe meaning to it for you right now. Yes. You're, you're investing in the community and, and you know, you're doing good work, but you need to make it more specific to 
what you're driven towards. And at that point, the college was already paying for me to get different training. And I got like my pesticide license and I was getting more training in a lot of ecological restoration. And, and it was uh, through the New England Grows um, annual event um, where a bunch of different speakers come in. I was really influenced by different people like Michael Phillips, who is a holistic orchardist up in New England, uh, Larry Weiner out of Pennsylvania, who does um, meadow conversions in lawns in Eastern PA, um, Rick Dark, Doug Tallamy, and they were some of these people out of that southeastern Pennsylvania, northern Delaware, University of Delaware, that brought ecological landscaping to the forefront. And that was something that was really important to me because having grown up in a very rural area, you see an ecosystem that functions pretty well. And you kind of take it for granted because you don't necessarily know what's going on. You come to an urban setting where man does what man does and we pick what we want and we, we change the land, we change the chemistry in the soil, we change the plant, you know, uh, diversity, um, sometimes horribly. And we really wreak havoc on the property on, on the land when we, we come in and we do what we want. And so I think I got tired of seeing that on a regular basis and then learning about it and decided that, and, and talked it over with my boss at the time, uh, Michael Johnson, who was my director of uh, facilities. He kind of, he was in a new role. He had just stepped in and I had a good relationship with him. And there was a lot of things that I was like, Mike, I'm learning a lot about this stuff. I think we can really do some cool things here because we're spending a lot of money on annual plants that we would put in the ground to beautify the campus at commencement and homecoming. And then, you know, you, you water them, you fertilize them, you, you weed and you do all these things throughout the summer, which push, make push, the campus push. beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and it was really, the campus was gorgeous. I mean, I, I mm. honestly didn't know how I was going to contribute to the campus because they had a legacy from professor Babcock who started just planting all kinds of stuff, but literally built the stone granite walls around the campus. This guy was a force to be reckoned with. And I heard many stories about him from my grandfather and other um, classmates and my grandfather that were still in the community that talked about the work he did on campus. And I loved the, I loved his fire. I loved his eccentrism who he also was hailed from upstate New York. Um, so he kind of has that same eco region as I. Um, and so People just, it was one of those things like they would always say something about him and it was always this like, oh, you know, Professor Babcock, but, but everybody loved him. And, and he just, he was vehemently set towards doing what he felt he needed to do. And that kind of passion, that, that fire really ignited me. And so I, talking over with my supervisor, we started thinking about areas on campus that were spent a lot of money annually on plants and then through some financial crises, the school didn't have the budgets that they needed for different things. And so it really strapped me on how, how can we, how can we care for the campus, make it beautiful. And at the same time, start doing more ecological preservation and, and conservation on the property that is going to benefit it in the long run give the students something to study on campus instead of having to go out to the local state reservations or state parks. And then to 
show that there's this relationship between us and the earth that can happen that doesn't have to be us dominating and controlling what happens, but working with what's already going on. And Mm. again, money, it's always about money. Like, Mm. all right, if you can make it beautiful, great. But I didn't have a ton of experience in this other than, you know, these courses and classes I was taking. And, but then I started like, I started learning what was in the area. And I, and we have like different little wild areas in our suburban setting, these marginal areas and behind our tennis courts, you've got a litany of invasives, but you've got a lot of natives too. And a couple plants that really like changed my perspective was hmm. Hartley faster, which is a native of the Northeast and okay. is a host plant for a bunch of different, um, caterpillar, um, species, native species, which then, you know, you're working at that bottom layer of the food chain, it works up. And we began a bunch of projects on campus where we would take those from the wild marginal areas and start Mm. replanting them around campus in the under almost underutilized or places where we would try and grow grass, but it's too shady and too dry. And then by Mm. the end of the summer, you just are blowing dust around. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Nobody likes that. And we started pinpointing areas around campus that we could even just multiply this stuff. And so I literally had students out there with trowels digging these things up. Mm. We take them to other places on campus. And Mm. within a year, I saw transformation like I'd never seen because we got Mm. the the bee activity on campus, native and the European honeybee, the bird activity, butterfly activity. From that point, we just started seeing a change in the trajectory of what – what activity was happening on campus. And then my students were always interested in like, what's the purpose of this? Right. And why are we, why are we picking this plan? So it really got, it began a conversation of like, this is why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. I want to, I want to pause here briefly and and Michaela, feel free to to jump in too, because uh, there's kind of a, 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 you know, the, the conversation and then the the, the conversation under the conversation here. And I, and I want to make sure (laughs) that every, everyone who is hearing this is really grabbing both. And, you know, you mentioned you talk about ecological restoration versus, uh, right, doing doing whatever we want with the land and and that sort of thing, and so and and then under that is right, it's like why does this matter? And then there's sort of this conversation of well, what is beauty and wh- whose definition of beauty are we talking about? And so there's several layers here, and I don't know that we can get into all of them, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, what if if you maybe could. Uh, "Quote unquote," ground, ground this for us uh, mm-hmm. uh, in this conversation. What do you, what are you talking about when you're talking about uh, ecological restoration uh, versus "quote unquote" what we usually do in urban settings? Yeah, and I wouldn't necessarily say urban settings. I wouldn't just single it out to that. You sure. just see more disturbance there because over history, there just there's more turnover of population and development, and um, we are really good at plowing forward as a species and we are terrible at observing what is happening around us and over and over again and when i look back at history and i look back at i'm not the type to to really say oh these guys they did it wrong that you can only know what you know at the time yes they may have done it wrong at that time because of the information we now have 
but did they take time to stop and see when we started clearing white pines out of the Northeast? Did we stop and think about how is this going to create drastic change in an ecosystem? We really weren't, we really didn't know about it. Um, but our drive was, this is profitable and the land can recover. The land will, you know, the land will come back. What It'll do what it has always done. But some of that irreparable damage, and maybe not irreparable, but long-term damage, the, the years, hundreds, thousands of years of an ecosystem developing from open land to series of succession where you have your, uh, you have your starter, kind of your pioneer species that fill these open spaces. Bigger, more mature plants come in. They take over the, the next round of succession. And there's this relationship with the soil and the plants that are coming into this space that it's just this amazing cyclical cycle of uh, this amazing cycle. <laughs> no, of, you, yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's it's flipping over on its heels. Um, yeah, absolutely. But it's this it's this constant reiteration of what was there, and it's all happening in the soil. And you can't say that I'm gonna I'm gonna clear this area and I'm gonna replant that plant that I just cleared from there and expect it in 80 years to be back the way it was. The, the soil needs time to recover. The soil needs time to build back up certain nutrients that other plants that are no longer there either sequester or bring forth um, or, or put back into the soil. And so the ecological restoration take is really one of, <laughs> and this is all just kind of like coming to me as I'm sitting here, is relationship. It's We have a relationship with the things around us and I learned about it. I'm constantly learning this in new ways. Um, I had the opportunity to do a, a volunteer project with some Methodists in our area to a ministry center in South Dakota this summer. And learning from the Lakota people about their perspective of how creation works and, mm-hmm. and their relationship to their surroundings, which is pretty consistent across indigenous cultures is that they are part of this. They're not here to subdue it. They're not here to claim what they want to do. They are part of a moving system and they're far better at being aware of their surroundings. than we have across history when we, when newcomers come into an area, we, we struggle at really seeing the value of what's working well and contributing in a healthy way. Or saying, well, this is what I'm going to do. This is the space I'm going to make for myself. And it becomes very solitary. It becomes very individualistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. you, could, you could say, I, I mean, even Christ talks about it in the body of Christ. You know, not, every, not everybody's a finger. Not everybody's an eye. Not everybody's a nose. Like, mm-hmm. we're part of a larger system. And we can't do it without each other. So I like to think of it as like the ecosystem of Christ. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I I love all of the parallels between the things that you're saying. And of course, we're, we'll talk a little bit more about what your work looks like currently. But in light of this, talking about relationships uh, in our personal lives, you know, as people, but also relationships in the communities around us, including those non-human communities. How do you see your work and the work that you have been doing as an expression of your faith or an expression of your relationship with Christ? 
that was something that that my brother and I said my my former roommate Leif pushed on me when I was entering into that role as director was that I needed to find it was more than I guess ascribe my meaning to what I was doing, mm-hmm. but finding that purpose in in what I was doing and how I'm contributing. Again, I didn't feel like I was coming into the campus ready to just add all these trees or do undo what previous directors did. I loved my previous grounds directors and, and got to look, got to build a relationship with previous, I think three directors before that and really hear about their heart and passion for the school, for the community, for the campus, for the plants. And so it was all very heavily influenced by these relationships in my life. And as a, as a member of eight siblings, um, you understand that, you know, you can, you can all cut throat and go for your own path and do your own thing and, you know, knock out everybody in between. Um, and at times I did, you can ask my brother and my siblings. Um, but when I understood, and, and that you see this more in adulthood is, is you don't necessarily get to choose those that are around you, those that you're doing life with, those that are in your family, those that are in your neighborhood. Um, <laughs> if we may, if we may lean That's on right. Mr. Rogers there and, and really I, and like jokes aside, my dad's one of my dad's biggest heroes was Mr. Rogers. And we watched a lot of it growing up. And my dad is like the closest thing to Mr. Rogers. I know in person mm-hmm. and I, I constantly saw with mom and dad's ministry, there was no point in them doing what they did as pastors, as preachers of the word, as scholars, as community members. There was no point in them doing that if there was no relationship with those that they were surrounded by and how that contributed to kingdom work and, and bringing about the kingdom of God. Um, again, you don't always get to choose your situations and your settings. Mm. far more far less you know uh, at times we can but i think it's i think it's silly to think we we choose as much as we do um Mm. so it's either enjoy where you're at and find ways to contribute Uh, and that's how i think about it too is on an ecological level there are and and that's the, the beautiful part about nature is it's constantly pointing us back to christ it's constantly pointing us back to God's handiwork and, and what he has instilled in us. I, I see nothing but a, <laughs> we didn't, we had this conversation around the dinner table actually yesterday. Uh, nature didn't do anything. You know, they, they, it didn't, it didn't, you know, at, at the garden of Eden, it wasn't over there, you know, being led astray by the serpent or whatever. Um, it was us. And, hmm. and I think creation still, shows us that grace. It still shows us that there is hope. My, my, the way I understand um, heaven and hell is that there are situations that God has, um, there, God has given us this, this earth and we can look at the soil and be like, what's the soil made up of? It's made up of dead material, but yet it's bringing back to life everything that falls in it. That's the perfect example of Christ. Christ is nothing but, but soil. And, mm-hmm. and he, he brings the dead to life through that. 
in my image of what hell is, is a system where that doesn't exist. Hmm. Things just die. There is no rebirth to giving life to something else. There is no, there's no hope. There's no grace and nature will return to its original design if we give it a chance, if we help it. But if we continue to plow our own trail uh, and not be aware of our surroundings and, and the benefits of a healthy ecosystem, um, we're going to, we're going to continue to hinder it. We're going to continue to see global issues in, in climate issues be a, a continuous problem. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's so much to learn in that, that, you know, you could, we could go multiple podcasts yeah. with this, but there's so much to learn as it's not necessarily a matter of climate change. It's not a matter of like all these biodiversity losing it. It's there is, it just is. If we go against what God has put in place, we are going to suffer and it's not God, you know, punishing us. It's not, no, we just mm. are choosing not to operate in a way that he's the natural consequences. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah. what we tell our kids all the time. You're not being punished. <laughs> These are just natural consequences. And, uh, you know, exactly. And, Stick and, your finger in that socket. See what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. If you live through Don't that, you'll, that you'll know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. my, uh, my electricity. I got to put a PG-13 yeah, you know, on experience. this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, Oh, there's, man, there's so much here. This is so good. I, I really, you know, I, I love that you talk about uh, learning that posture. And really this, what we're talking about here are certain postures uh, of creation, care, and relationship with the land. And, you know, ironically from, right, the Lakota people there mm. who, uh, right, if we if we look at this sort of American indigenous story, right, we all know this story. And, and it's this, it's a story of colonization. It's a, it's mm. a, you know, mm. uh, which is, which is kind of what we're talking about uh, of what we, when we say we want to do what we want to do with the land. Um, it's the same sort of posture, same sort of conversation. And, but we don't think about it that way. We, we I mean, we feel that we've evolved from thinking about, uh, people, as objects, which of course we haven't, we still do this on a daily basis, but, um, Mm -hmm. but particularly even more with the land and with creation, uh, we, we often don't bat an eye on, uh, the way we objectify quote unquote, God's creation, Mm. giving ourselves sort of this mental, uh, license to kill quote unquote, or license to colonize the land, uh, however we want to do. And so, uh, right. So we pave a parking lot and we, uh, mm. right. We'll, we'll put down sod or we'll plant whatever we want to plant where we want to plant it. Right. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, I know that you and I have had some back and forth, uh, emails on, on some of, you know, what it, I mean, the, yeah. the kudzu factor, right. Is what we deal with here in the South. Um, and, and so then you sort of get an, into yeah. language of, of natives and pollinators, right. Which is the same sort of, Yep. Uh, native colonization, right? The same sort of thing. And so 
this this uh, this posture of what does it mean? I guess as the people of God to see this relationship, this Christ-like relationship, through all mm-hmm. these things and every decision we make, and even through back to the story, right? Uh, even through things like the landscaping on our college campus, right? How is how is mm-hmm. Christ present? And embodied in in these in these little corners and in places, uh, and it, and it's so important. And I think, uh, you know, I don't like to get into generational differences and stuff like that. But I will say mm. that um, the over the years, more and more, as I talk with younger generations, right, these are the things that just doesn't make sense out of the gate. Uh, as far as like, uh, you know, I, I know that you you do the work of of maybe transforming or doing the work of of urban farming on a college campus or something i know a lot of that happens uh around the corner for me at treveca and a lot of people might say that's not the prettiest thing right you've got goats and goat Mm. poop and piles of mulch (laughs) and uh and You've got things that may look unmanicured, and quite frankly, they are unmanicured, but intentionally so. And uh, and then you might have some particular cabinet members or whoever from said college or whatever think that, man, I don't know that that's going to promote our university in the way that, quote unquote, I think it should be promoted. And so we get these tensions of uh, of like, well, what are what are we selling here? What are we doing or what are we trying to embody and you know, I'll pick. A, I'll I'll very briefly pick on NNU because I was there last summer, and you know, and I love <laughs> NNU, but but they're they're uh, they're in Idaho, and it's it's a pretty dry climate, and there's just uh, like acres of of grass. They're just doing everything they can to keep alive, <laughs> and it's just so green. You get on the campus, <laughs> but as soon as you leave the campus in Nampa, right? Of course. It's very brown because that's naturally what yeah. Idaho looks like, uh, and and yeah. of course behind that is a lot of money and a lot of water. Mm. Uh, anyway, and so you kind of have like all these little decisions, uh, right? They 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 tell us a story about what our values are and that mm. sort of thing. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry, I think that. I think I agree exactly with what you are saying. I think creation can teach us a lot about what beauty is or what priorities are because creation is anything but manicured. It's like anything but put together. It's like chaotic and it's dirty and it's messy and it is also beautiful, but we have to like practice seeing the beauty in those things, right? Like, I think a pull, a big pile of mulch right. is the most beautiful thing because there's so much going on in there. It <laughs> oh, it's great. amazing. It Tell us about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, for some who that isn't a like a regular rhythm for them or who don't yet understand all of the, like the intricacies that go into this giant pile of mulch, mm. that is mm. us practicing our like stretching those muscles of seeing beauty where God has put beauty already and just recognizing yeah what God is already up to in the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's funny you bring up the mulch because that was something that really irked me was I was paying to get rid of all this leaf matter, stick mm-hmm. twigs, all these, you know, this great material that is, is all over a healthy forest floor. And we mm-hmm. were, 
again, I didn't know any better. You know, we're just raking it. We're going in there before the winter. We're ripping all this stuff out. We're throwing it in our back lot. We're shipping it out of there. And, and then in the spring we go and buy more mulch and we bring it in. And it was just like, wait a minute, we're getting, we're getting spun around here. And, and like you were saying, Michaela, like you, when you understand what's in that stuff and Mm -hmm. especially the, especially the, the leaf matter, it was the hermit thrush that called me into account um, on this one because winter hit us early one, one year on campus. And this is while I was still an assistant. It was that transition year, actually, the winter into the spring. And so I was going back out in the spring, you know, pre-commencement. Things are warming up in March in New England and, and snow is melting. And I'm pulling out those leaves from those spots. And while I was doing that, there was a hermit thrush ne- nearby, which, you know, in the, in the Wollaston area, if you pull up Wollaston, it looks just like a concrete jungle up against the beach. You wouldn't think that, you know, 16 acres of beautiful campus with lawns and beds, you know, is, is right in the middle of that. Um, but there is a, there is a state protected area, not far from there. And we are in the main track of a lot of migratory species along that shoreline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these, these birds, these animals, everybody's coming in looking for these places to, man, they're gassed out. They need a bathroom mm-hmm. stop. They need to get some snacks. You know, they need something to keep going. And we as great hosts like we are, oh, we're going to clean it all up for you so it's nice and pretty. They don't want any of that. You know, mm-hmm. they, right. they come in looking for hospitality and they come in. And again, it's, well, well, we cleaned it up. Like, isn't it nice? Like, don't you want this? And like, if, the, <laughs> if they could have a conversation with us, they'd be like, you're a complete moron. Like I can't find anything to eat. I have no shelter. There is nothing. Not to mention in new England, we get some hard winters and no leaf litter on the ground breaking down puts a lot of stress on the roots of our trees and, and plants, especially mm. in the last few winters where we've, we've gotten less snow to insulate the ground. We're getting a lot of freezer damage from these really cold temperatures, mm-hmm. a lot of moisture in the soil and nothing to, insulate the plants. So the, I saw this hermit thrush forging through the leaf litter and I was like, wow. And it was that spring that I learned about the hermit thrush that he likes to forge through leaf litter as it's migrating in. And so from then on, I'm going to stop cleaning up leaves under shrubs. <laughs> and yeah, I know I ticked off a few people at times and we started keeping all of our leaves. So we started making our own mulch. We bought, you know, a little backyard chipper and we started shredding the leaves in the fall. we turn it a couple times in our back lot and we'd spread it in the spring. And I didn't have to pay for any mulch after that. Does it mm-hmm. look exactly like a dyed mulch? No, but boy, does it have far more nitrogen and is it far more healthy? And then we use that as our base to start converting all the other areas on campus that we wanted to do and, mm-hmm. and rejuvenate that soil, bring that soil back to life from those, from that leaf matter. And, and mm. just yeah. what I saw in a, a matter of three years was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Couldn't believe mm-hmm. that. I mean, I, I tried to keep track of species that I knew would like migrate in or fly through butterflies, birds. And I was seeing dramatic changes in a short period of time. 
Yeah. I feel like that's another foundational part of this conversation is your posture. Uh, like we've been talking about of listening. So are we listening to the community Mm. around us? If we're talking about like our church community, are we listening to our neighbors to see what they actually need from us or what kind of relationship they want to have with us? And Mm -hmm. on this like ecological perspective, are we listening to the landscape around us of what it needs Mm. and what it, what it does? Are we deciding to work with what's already going on or are we just going to like yeah. make it harder for everybody else? Like I tell, I tell my neighbors who rake up bags of leaves, <laughs> they're like so many bags, right? And my parents do this too. And I'm like, those trees work so hard all year round <laughs> to make those leaves. <laughs> and you're just like shipping them off somewhere. Like you got to let them like read those bit of it's back in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> next time, next time your parents go out in the winter, just take their jackets away and see how how they do or there's exactly. snow pants, you know, See how, how do you like it? <laughs> right. I'm going to turn your thermostat down to like 15. See how it goes. That's right. That's right. Oh man. Love. I love this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could have a whole podcast just about like mulch and leaves and nitrogen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, don't get uh, started. So, uh, you know, I would, I would like to point out too that, uh, uh, Samuel's in front of me, and it, and it appears you've got on one arm you've got a tattoo of like the the Nazarene dove coming down with the flames, and on the other yes, arm is the, like a tree <laughs> with the roots and the. I love it. Uh, it's oh, just man. like there's a whole story uh, happening here. Uh, there's a lot back there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's like that that is that is what we're talking about, right? Like our yeah. our our faith, uh right, that our mm. our holiness, our our bodies, the earth, uh right, and you know, we we are that. We we are that in between being, I suppose. I mean, yeah. uh, cre- creatures created and God breathed mm. uh to to be that be that heart in between. Uh, and so, but, uh, I may, maybe, uh, we could take a, a minute too, and just, I'd love for you to briefly tell us about, uh, you know, your, your business right now, if you want to. And, yeah. and then also, also, I think to translate this uh, a little bit from a, a college campus conversation to a, a, a church, uh, mm. quote-unquote facility conversation just briefly because I know you and I I know you've you've had some cool ideas you pitched to me before about like mm-hmm. pollinator kits or something like that mm-hmm. um, yeah so grab it grab any of that you want to oh yeah <laughs> so <laughs> I started my business in 2020 2021 2020 was kind of like an experiment year for me um, as it was for many people. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and at, honestly, at that point, it came to me at a time where I was like a deer in a headlight. Um, maybe even worse. <laughs> I, I, I was at a very tough time in my life. And one of the themes that kind of stuck with me during my time at Eastern Nazarene College was that theme of restoration. I could not separate the work where you're doing the interaction and the relationships I built with students in the community and what they are going through in their life. And then the work we were doing on the land and just how this all was just restoration. You know, you get, you'd be working side by side with a student and they start telling you their story and 
you're just you're almost I almost felt in those moments as a it's like a priest um there at, to offer support to um whether they came from the same faith background or not um praying for them and and building again giving them space in a and and shelter in a very inhospitable world um and i really love that about the college ministry um and then in 2020 we had some budget cuts um at the college and the weird part was coming into coming into that year i had just came through the toughest year of my life and i i did not feel like i had much left um and the interesting part caleb was the when i first met you i was i was going through the middle of it and um i my wife and i ended up getting a divorce at the end of by the end of 2019 um and just never expected to be going through some of the things that i did um and again kind of that deer in a headlight moment like 2020 hit and i was like <laughs> i what a virus it's you know wreaking havoc at, at that point i was already ready for this like i was like mm. i've already been through this in one one way or another and then losing my job was another big blow um and coming into 2020 i felt restless i felt all right lord you know i i feel like you're ready to start something new or bring about a change and i think some of that was just a natural fallout from the divorce and and i didn't I felt like I should get my resume ready or, or start thinking about, you know, next steps because I didn't know if I should be at the college much longer. Or, um, I, but I didn't feel like I had another option. Uh, my housing was there. I was now co-parenting um, and needed a stable environment for my girls who were going through this as well. Um, and trying to figure out, feeling like I needed to do something. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very much a doer. <laughs> Um, that's how I, that's how I cope is I do. Um, and then I get a call from my, one of, uh, my higher ups at the college. Um, and we had some staff turnover, we had some leadership turnover, um, and things were, culture was changing too, um, in some ways at the, at the college. And I didn't have the, the relationships that, you know, some supervisors moved on and it just, was a little bit different and, and the college was also going through a stressful time financially and, and hmm. they, they felt it would be advantageous to um, contract out grounds work. Um, at this point I had already started climbing trees for the college and, and trimming and um, doing a lot of the arboreal work um, in the canopy because um, we had a lot of trees that needed trimmed and, we couldn't pay to have the services come in. So right. either drop stuff on people or <laughs> figure it out. So Get them in uh, that tree. Yeah. Yeah. I figured it out. And yeah. um, I was already doing tree work on the side. And then the beginning of May, I think it was of 2020. Um, I basically, my position was terminated and our department was, was outsourced. Um, and it took a little while to kind of get my feet together. Um, but I was still having people calling about tree work. Um, people wanted trimming done. They wanted, you know, this and that done. So I, I quickly jumped into that as supplementary, supplementary um, 
income. Um, I, I was good at it. I liked the challenge of, of climbing and, and trimming and rigging. And I didn't do cranes and bucket trucks. I, I did everything by rigging and ropes and, and climbing trees. Um, and that really just opened up doors and that theme of restoration kept sticking with me and having been through some major life changes. I mean, from 2020 through 2021, I, I always said, if anything tragic happened in my family life, I'd go like, I'd go tiny or I'd go into like special forces or I'd just like pursue something like remote. But you know, with two young girls, I couldn't necessarily go, you know, survival training or something somewhere. Um, and so I felt like, um, um, the tiny, tiny route was kind of where I wanted to go. Um, I, I was tired of, of waste. I was tired of seeing wasted resources and I, I love being mm. in the land anyhow. So what mm. better place? I experimented living in an RV for a year in new England in the winter. That was wild. Um, wow. and van down by the river, man. My girls loved it. We, um, we, I mean, me and my ex, we, we share, um, time with the girls. And so they had great experiences in both places and, and we've really yeah. worked hard at, at caring for the girls well, um, during this time. And they, they love their experiences with dad. They love their experiences with mom. And, and I really wanted to return to that model that we started at ENC of mm-hmm. land restoration and reclamation and tree work was a gr- the best way to build that relationship. Um, you know, people see you climbing tree on ropes and dangling from heights and they're just like, this is crazy. And then they see you actually not destroy something. And they're like, wow, you're, yeah. you know, I'm going to refer you to this neighbor. And then it just like snowballs after that, oh, you know, cool. I was going to, you know, from neighborhood to neighborhood. And then I started getting jobs in Pennsylvania, you know, people in my f- parents' church back there were asking for stuff. And then, you know, my uncle has some, um, good relationships out near Pittsburgh and got me to Mr. Rogers property. And, um, so Hmm. it was, it was all through the tree work, but over the last year or two, I've really kind of, uh, one of my families in our church in Duxbury, Massachusetts, they asked me to do a landscape, um, redesign for them. They were alumni of Eastern Nazarene college. They were familiar with my work, um, on campus and they, they, basically gave me my first big landscape redesign since I left ENC and they already had some good stuff going on in the bed, but they needed to fill it out a bit more. He was tired of putting chemicals down. He was tired of spraying weeds. Mm. He was tired of weeding. And you know, there's, there's something that wants to fill that space and do it well. And if we can build a relationship with that plant, then let's do it. And so we, that was the first big one. And that man, the itch just started after that. And from that point, I, I was looking for opportunities and even just publicizing on social media, some of the work I had done previously and, and highlighting specific plans, highlighting the importance of this. And in that restoration work is, is not only work in the land, but it's work in our lives. And cause I was now one of those individuals that was seeing that in my life, seeing that in my daughter's life, seeing that in my ex-wife's life. And, and hmm it's this year I have a nice balance of, um, right. I mean, right now I'm doing storm cleanup from storm damage, but I just got out of doing a, a project where I was doing a lawn conversion last week of 
a low light area where chemicals and fertilizers and lime were not getting the lawn to grow. So we did a, I consulted them and, and talked with the homeowner about it. And we did a full flip. We did, uh, about 2,300 square feet conversion to, um, a native sedge, a native woodland sedge, which does well mm-hmm. in low light, uh, plan dry. Um, they're okay. kind of on the edge of a lake and it can operate as a lawn grass. You keep it a little bit longer. Um, Carex Pennsylvanica and okay. it's about, you keep it mowed at about two and a half to three inches, but it has this like very feathery hair like texture to it and a very whimsical feel when you let it just grow out. And when you see it in like pockets throughout the forest or something like that, it's just this like nice covering of grass. I've seen places like that in Pennsylvania and like Shenandoah national park. Um, but then the life, here's the other part of it. The life that that brings into the property is, is astronomical compared to what turf grass does and Mm. turf does nothing but take resources and creates environmental issues where the carex is, is a contributing species. That's going to be a host species for caterpillars and moths. Um, it's bird food. It's again, it's supporting that lower, it's got a deeper root system. It's just a, a more holistic solution to, some of these problems. Um, so mm. that's, that's kind of where I'm at now is just, and I, I work all over. It's, I've got projects in new England. I've got projects in Pennsylvania and mm. anywhere in between. I've been able to make my, uh, set up a little bit more remote and through, I haven't quite got all my tiny home living situation yeah. set up yet. I'm, it's ongoing. It is, but back to relationship and community, I built, some really good friends in, in both places. Mm. And when I'm in new England and me and the girls are spending time in new England, we've got a place and families to stay with there. And when I'm Mm. on the road in Pennsylvania, um, I've got siblings scattered all throughout Pennsylvania and we're just hopping around. So it won't always be like that, but I'm grateful. And it's really shown me how I've needed it. I I can't do this on my own as much as I like to be independent, but yeah. Um, it sure. takes, it takes a community. Hmm. Yeah. And there's seasonality to life, right? Like you can participate exactly. in the season that you find yourself in and knowing that that season will change. Like I'm right now looking at Montane cloud forest in Costa Rica for mm. all of you who can't see where I am. And I, <laughs> if I were to sit here and look at this again in 50 years, it would be insane for me to hope that this forest would stay the exact same <laughs> as it was 50 mm. years ago. Cause that's not how yeah. life works. So, yeah. so yeah. we can live in our season and then, and then when it's time we can move into a new season. So for churches who are looking at a season change for them and want to learn about how they can better engage with this kind of work, what exactly. kind of advice would you give them? Well, Caleb, you even mentioned the, um, the biodiversity kits are like the, the pollinator kits. Um, there's a, it was the new England wildflower society. It's now, uh, new England, new England native plant trust. They years ago they had, and I think they still do it. They kind of jumped on the back of this, um, bi- biodiversity train and not that they really jumped on the back. They, they've been doing it for a while, but the importance of creating diverse habitat, um, mm-hmm. 
again, we come in, we clear land, and we are terrible at putting things back where, where they once mm. were. And, and there is succession to things. There is a change, like you were saying, Michaela. Like it doesn't, it's not going to remain the same. It shouldn't remain the same. Um, it, there's a, an adapting change to things. And, and so what needs to go there at that time that's going to bring the greatest benefit to its surrounding environment? Um, I think that's what churches need to embrace. <laughs> we are terrible as churches lately saying, well, this is how we're going to help the community and this is what we're going to do, you know, mm-hmm. and because it's either what we want to do, what we're comfortable doing, or it's keeping to ourselves. And mm-hmm. there, there's no way to get a, a pulse or an understanding of what's going on around you. I mean, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. not, not to promote, you know, other things right now, but Jesus uh, revolution um, came out recently with Kelsey Grammer. And it's the story of, of that, that culture shift on the West Coast um, when Chuck Smith and his ministry decided to embrace that, that hippie culture, those, mm. you know, and, and he, he built a relationship with Lonnie. And yeah. they, Man, see they started, oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a great reminder that we can get so stuck in the way things are now and that this is how it's going to be. Mm. And... And forgetting that we need to contribute, we need to bring life. So I think yeah. one practical way for churches is churches have land, regardless of whether you're urban, metropolitan, ex-urban, rural. Most yeah. of these places have land, and there's ways to build that relationship. I mean, my daughter started like this little restoration club at church because they have some like-minded friends that discovered that creation care is a thing. And they were on, they were literally on the website going through like, all right, what do we need to do? And I'm like, I can't, I I don't have enough bandwidth in my time as much as I'm passionate about this stuff to even necessarily lead this to church. My job as a father and as, as a community member is to empower others to do it. Hmm. Man, these three young ladies are taken off. They are ready to roll. And that's what's up. if there's anybody who's going to bring about that change, it'll be them. Um, mm. You know, people get tired of hearing me bark about this stuff, and I'm I'm probably too aggressive. Anyhow, yeah. <laughs> you know, how can you say no to <laughs> nah, three just, three ten year old young ladies? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I and, like, and so I we've like even that. yeah, even at our church, they've they've started like a pollinator garden, and it's a way uh-huh. to bring them together. And we we had just the best spring cleanup activity. And I didn't, I think what I really enjoyed was I love doing this work with my kids. I love teaching them. I like working with them, but they are Mm -hmm. individuals. And so I love being able to see my daughter, Jamie or Beatrice lead in their own ways and take, take things in, in skills and abilities that I don't have that they have and, and multiply that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and seeing them do that on a communal level with others, you know, it was, it was us, us dads that were, uh, mm. you know, off doing other projects and operating mm. machinery and stuff like that. You know, we're just like winking and smiling, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At each other over, yeah. over, you know, our, yeah. our daughter's passion and, and drive behind yeah. this. Um, because it's, uh. again, it's not just about the land. It's not just about the church's ministry. It's, it's mm. all of it. It's all it's of it. the relationships that are around us. 
Yeah, mm. I, I love that. What does it what does it mean for us to all be about the business of restoration <sighs> land care? Because ultimately uh it is quote unquote the business of Christ. Uh because yep. uh, Christ is about restoration land care if uh uh, about to see me preaching, but, uh, yes. you know, and I, and I think, uh, yeah. And so, and so what would it look like? I feel like we are just maybe just really lacking in some imagination as the local church, uh, of, of why don't our spaces reflect more of, uh, that part of our theology, right? And it just, uh, and anyway, we, we, I, we've, we've kind of already been down the mm. train, but, uh, yeah. And so, you know, instead of, I think it just gets so easy to maintain the status quo, even if the status quo is broken, we at least know how to maintain that broken thing, or we know how to keep mowing grass or, you know, and so any turn toward justice with the land will require change, will require oh, yeah. learning something uh, old, I'll say, uh, learning something that's that's part of the DNA of creation. And, uh, and of course, anything that's changed may not be comfortable, uh, right? Thus mm-hmm. metanoia, right? Thus uh, repenting, thus turning and going the other direction. Uh, but that is the place that we're at, right? Uh, of, um, you know, quite literally uh, cultivating the soil around are in our communities and i'm not saying that uh i'm not i'm not using that as a spiritualization uh, right now quite literally Mm -hmm. cultivating the soil because uh god created the soil cares for the soil and uh you and i we won't live without it Um, yeah yeah. and quite literally uh, (laughs) yeah and um right this is not to say uh we've we we've you know, we really get stuck trans like we we cite all these scriptures and talk about mm. not being of the world and worldliness. And we don't realize like none of those scriptures we're talking about earth and soil. What we're talking about is is <laughs> being uh quote unquote worldly people, uh cosmos and you know, cosmopolitan and uh right no G like we are of the soil. And mm. um yeah, man, your story is just so encouraging. And I love, I love the work that you've done and that the work that you're doing and seeing literally embodied in your story of how your, your faith just pours out of your hands into the world around you. Uh, as you sit here in the backdrop of where <laughs> trees and birds are chirping and all that. And I think it's just, you know, it's, uh, I think it's very hopeful. Um, and, really is. uh, I, I wanna. I don't. I don't want to to go on forever with it. Although I, I think we could here. But how yeah. can how can people get a Part hold twos. of you? How can people contact you? I you know, yeah. What and and maybe uh, bug you about some of these ideas. <laughs> uh, well, you know that thing I said about never wanting to be a preacher. <laughs> um, so on occasion, I've you know people have asked me to either give a devotional. I, I remember my first crack at it was, uh, Montague Williams, who I think is now at, uh, yeah. uh, what's that school out in San Diego point Loma. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he asked me if I would speak in chapel one time. I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but I'm like, I can't, I can't not like, it was one of those things of, I felt like he was being asked for a reason. 
Um, I wasn't willingly, you know, volunteering. Oh yeah, I'll say something, you know. Um, but I think that was kind of a point where I, I had to, I had to work past some of Samuel Monkern's preferences. Um, cause if, if you ask any of my students, they're like, dude, you're always preaching to us. So mm. I ask my children. Um, mm. and so on occasion, you know, as asked, because I am this nomadic plant person thing, um, <laughs> I, I love doing this with people. I was like, wherever you can find plants and people, let me know. I, if it's a matter of driving distances or flying somewhere, I've, I've really streamlined my setup so that I can <laughs> pack my, pack my uh, tree trimming gear, fly it, drive it, uh, plant gear, whatever it is. Um, so wherever there's plants or people, I'm, I'm down for a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And just to see what's, see what you want to do. If uh, people that feel like, and maybe this is, maybe this came from Jesus at one point. He didn't come to minister to the healthy. He came to people mm-hmm. that were sick and we have a lot of sick out here. Um, is that Jesus? And I'm not I interested. That was on house. Was that? Oh yeah, yeah that was it. That was it. <laughs> no, it was Jesus. Oh. You're right. Oh, <laughs> um, I, I want to, Having been there myself, I want to have conversations with people that feel like they're kind of at the end of the rope or I don't have another option. Those that feel like they've got it together, it takes a lot more to do some convincing or or feel like mm. my per- property's perfect. I don't need anything. The environment, it's great. Fine. Whatever. If that's mm. the way you feel, there's other broken places we <laughs> go work on. Um, or even if not, even if you're like, you know what? I thought I have everything but we're really seeing a change in our people we're really seeing a change in in the land and and Mm. i i can't necessarily offer any major coaching but um i'm good at having a conversation um and i do know plants um but restoration land care on um actually i think it's restoration underscore land care on instagram um is my handle that's pretty much my main mode of um, communication with the greater world. Um, Great. I'm pretty, I think my phone number is listed on there and stuff like yeah. that. We'll um, make sure to put your phone number and your social security and everything on the, on that's the it. That, yeah. I was hoping, yeah. I was hoping, you know, I just need to be more accessible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, cool. actually I think on Facebook, it might be, uh, it might even be restoration landscapes. Cause I did it early on and, decided to change it and I cool. couldn't, couldn't correct Facebook. So, um, but Samuel Monkern, uh, find me on socials. Um, I'm there too. So, Great. um, but yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Well, as we close, you are someone who has spent a lot of time in God's creation. So what <laughs> do you love most about God's creation? Oh boy. <laughs> what do I love most? Big one. Saved the hardest one. <sighs> It really is. And that's completely opposite of how I work <laughs> today. I had three, three trees I had to clean up that were damaged and I decided oh, to go man. with the hardest one first. Cause I know it was the most stressful. Oh, um, you should have asked me this at the beginning. Um, what do I, well, it could be one most? of the most. Okay. Yeah. It's not going to, yeah. I'm not going to go. I won't, I won't highlight something that I've already highlighted. Um, perfect because, uh, you know, we've already talked about like relationship, like, 
there's a relationship to things out here. And, and if you just take time to observe it, it's really cool to see what happens. Um, but I would say lately, uh, I mean, I get fired up about a lot of stuff, but I would say lately I'm really fascinated by fungi and mycorrhizae. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very deep and dark mm-hmm. hole for some people and be like, how on earth do you spell that and say it? And it does not look like either when you see it on paper. Um, but I'm really fascinated at soil lately and just soil chemistries and how, if I were to go back to school right now, I would study moss and soil. Um, those are my two biggest things right now. And we're also at mm. kind of like peak moss season right now. I was freaking out <laughs> on Saturday. I was looking at a property oh, in Massachusetts and they have, they had like just this little pocket and they've been struggling with lawn, all the typical usual things, but yeah. their moss was just out of control. And I was like, this is <laughs> awesome. I was like, keep this going. Just go with this. this. And yeah, so their moss um, was, was out <laughs> of control. I'm going to get a t-shirt with that. That's going to be the name of this episode. <laughs> maybe. Uh, oh, that's great. Moss is out uh, of control. I um, love that. So, so yeah, I would say soil yeah. and moss are, are one of my favorite things right now. And just watching what happens in those, because they're very like microclimate yeah. type things. Mm-hmm. Um, my youngest Beatrice, she loves like anything little, like she loves like yeah. little tools or like little videos or, yeah. you know, little chef on, on my social well. media. Yeah. One. Oh my gosh. And, and uh, so yeah. moss is just like these little climates and, and mm-hmm. she loves going on jobs with me. Jamie, Jamie is my plant person. She's like in there doing the dirt already works. She's, she's making her own videos. She's going to have her own thing someday. Um, but Beatrice is like over there making like toad homes and like Mm -hmm. little, little rock gardens with little things. And so she's, she's really got me interested in the little things lately. I love that. Yeah. I love yeah. that mushrooms and all. And, you know, let me be the first to say that you are a fun guy. And, uh, <laughs> Way to go, dad. <laughs> I love this conversation. So, uh, well, thank you so much for your time, Samuel. Oh, this has welcome, been wonderful. Guys. And I am so grateful that we get to share, share your story with, uh, with the world. So thanks so much, brother. Man, I always have fun with you guys and, and just <laughs> blessed to, uh, have built these and, and, grown in these relationships so i appreciate both of you thank you awesome. feelings mutual awesome <laughs> thanks the millennial pastor podcast was created and produced by byron certain and josiah jones If you enjoyed this podcast, then please be sure to rate, review, or subscribe and visit themillennialpastor.com for more podcasts like it.